This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Something that will keep us going far longer than an energy drink will, far longer than that big dinner we're going to have later on it will. It's good to have something that will sustain us, that will build us up, that will give us strength for the road ahead. Now, we're in church, so not everything we talk about here is carnal. We're talking spiritual things. We're talking about our spirit man, our spirit woman, if you want. We're talking about things of eternity. We're talking about things that last. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and you can turn with me to the book of Acts, The book of Acts 27. Acts 27. And just before we read it, what we'll do is we'll just bring the service before God in prayer. And we'll ask him to have his way. Lord God in heaven, we glorify you, we praise you, and we lift your name up high. We thank you, dear God, that you are the constant in our lives. Lord, you're the rock that we can hold on to, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you have redeemed us, that you have saved us, that you've paid the price for us, that you have delivered us, O God. We thank you, dear God in heaven, Lord, for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for this word, O God. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you care for us and you want us to go on, Lord. You want us to press on, Lord, into you and into your purpose. Lord God in heaven, we just glorify and we ask you, Lord, to have your way, Lord. Have your way. Be glorified in this word, Lord. We know it is your good pleasure, Lord, to speak to us. It's your good pleasure, Lord, to feed us. And we come to you, Lord, and we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to feed us, O God, and give us something for the journey ahead. Amen and amen. Acts 27 and verses 27. It says, now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that we were drawing near to some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. It's a familiar story we know of Paul's journey to Rome, of the storms and of his, this, the, the, the things that they went through. We know about um, him setting out and changing boats at different places. It's a story we're familiar with. We might not remember all the details. Today I'm going to take a wee bit of the preacher's license and we're going to look at the four anchors of Paul. The four anchors of Paul. Paul was a normal man. You know, he wasn't a superman. We think of him in terms of what he's written and what he says in the scriptures. But really, whenever we read about the life of Paul, we read where he came from, and we read about all the things he went through. It's important that we remember that he was a normal man. He had feelings. He had emotions. He had hopes. He had disappointments. 
He had things that set him back on the road that he thought he was just charging along. He had things that came against him that he wasn't prepared for, like we all do. Things that happen that we just don't expect. Paul was a normal man in that respect. He had feelings. We, we forget that. He had feelings. He knew what it was like to go through things. The famous passage that he's pre- he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, I don't want you to turn to it. I'm just going to read a few things here. We're very familiar with this. It says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. He's defending his call. He says to them, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. One time and that's it. My missionary journey's over. I'm away home. I've got a wife that cares for me. I'm way home to, to get her to pat my arm and say, there, there, there. He's a, he's, this is a man who's gone through some stuff. He's endured hardships. My hardships don't even match to his. But he kept going. Why did he keep going? What was it about this man that, that gave him the strength, the tenacity, the, the temerity to think that he could keep walking along the path, that he'd keep going from place to place? He did, was it three missionary journeys? And he kept going after being beaten, after being stoned, after being dropped over a wall to get away from crowds, after three shipwrecks, and he kept going. We have a sunny day and we find it difficult to go on. <laughs> You know, <laughs> realistically, we, we <laughs> someone comes to the house to visit and we struggle to, <laughs> to go on. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? <laughs> it's hardly an easy Christian life that Paul portrays. It's hardly the testimony of someone who's living in victory every day. You know, it's really, think about it. The things that he endured, three shipwrecks, I had one incident on a bodyboard up in Port Stewart Beach, and I keep telling people that every time we get near water, <laughs> I near drowned. It was serious. <laughs> but Paul had three incidents. We don't even know if he could swim, but he kept going. Yes, he was a man of strength and tenacity, of perseverance and endurance, but he was not Superman. He did not do it for an amazing wage. We don't know what he was paid. We don't know what he was given. We do know that he worked at one point to make tents, it says, to support himself. But we don't know. He didn't do it for a wage. He didn't do it for fame and for fortune. He wasn't out to get his name in lights. There was no lights back then. He was a normal man who God had called to do a mission. He was normal, yes, He was like us. Yes, he was academically trained. He had been to the greatest rabbinical school in Jerusalem. He had sat at the feet of Gamil, the grandson of the great Hillel. He had been trained. He knew the Bible inside and out. He knew the Talmud inside and out. He knew the traditions of your fathers, as he said at one point. He was an academic man. But these things he went through were not academic discussions. They were not hypotheticals. There was real rain, there was real stones, there was real aggression towards him. There was hostility. He endured so much. And why? 
Why did he go through so much? Well, what was his message? His message was an amazing message. It was a message all about the goodness of God. It was the good news. It was the good news about where God seen that we were, where God knew that we were in the depths of despair, knew that we were lost in sin, lost in a, with a hopeless eternity ahead of us. God seen that, and this was his message. And the God of all the universe came down to earth to dwell in human flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived amongst us. And he came and he brought his word and he brought truth. And he preached like no other man had ever preached before. And he brought a message of hope. And then he was accused. And he faced hostility. (coughs) And he faced hardships. And he had to go every day to the synagogue and have people argue with him and debate with him. Could you imagine the, the son of God having some wee human debate with him? But here was Jesus coming and standing in the midst of it all. And Paul knew this message, and this is the message he brought. And this Jesus then went to the cross and died for us. And the good news was that there's, you don't have to go to a lost eternity. You don't have to be separated from God forever. That, that Christ opened the door. He made a way where there was no way. That his blood is the propitiation for our sins, that we are forgiven in him. This was good news. This excited Paul. This made him, wa- him want to go out and to give the message to people. He was, he was driven by it. He was enthusiastic about it. This is why he went through it. It wasn't just good news. It was great news. The God of all the earth has sent his son to die for me. Praise the Lord. Great news. Absolutely fabulous news. What a message. Paul was sent to those who were in darkness. To bring them a great light. Isn't it true? Isn't that something that would get you up in the morning? Isn't that something that would get you going in the morning? Keep you on the path? But he still had to get up. He still had to get up every morning. He still had to get up and think, all right, I need to look okay. I need to go down to the synagogue today. He says, ah, these ones haven't heard the message. I imagine that they'll be out in force. It's the holy day or it's whatever day and they're going to be down to the synagogue and I'm going to be down. This is a good time to get down there and to to preach my message, to stand outside the synagogue and maybe if they don't know me or they know enough about me, they'll let me inside and I'll actually get up and I'll do the reading today. Maybe, you know, he was hedging his bets. He had to get up and think this. Then he had to think to himself, yeah, but they're going to, once they hear me tell them that Jesus is the son of God, once they, tell, once they hear me tell them about how he was the one who God sent and that he is the Messiah and that he was rejected by the elders in Jerusalem, once they hear that, oh, they're not going to be happy. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be hostile towards me. They're going to hurl, hurl slurs at me. They're going to be offensive to me. They're going to argue with me. Oh, that's a day of stress. And, and there's no one with me. Okay, maybe I've got a couple of guys with me. You know, Barnabas is here. I'm one of the other guys. I've forgotten his name right now. Maybe they're here with me, but, you know, oh. I got, and he had to do that every day. And then he had to travel great distances from t- city to city to bring this message. He wasn't a ro- robot. He was a real man who had to endure, who had to keep going. What enabled him in his life to get to that point in 2 Timothy at the end of his life where he said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, that there is led up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. What was it kept him firm in that belief? What was it kept him driven to that goal of sharing the good news with those who were in darkness? What was it kept him focused on that? And not wavering, not giving up at the first shipwreck or the first time someone was hostile to him. Look at our lives. We sometimes don't share with our loved ones or neighbors because we think, oh, they're they're not going to like this. They're going to be upset. Does it compare? Does it compare to what he had to endure? The verse I'm highlighting there in, in Acts 27 was verse 29. And then it was fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I believe there was four things that in Paul's life that were anchors that kept him to his purpose. Four anchors that kept him sure and steadfast, that kept him on the path. You have to remember, he didn't have the New Testament. He was writing the New Testament. He only had the Old Testament and his experience with Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling him. And that's all he had. So he needed something that was going to keep him going, keep him on the path, keep him steadfast. Look at these four anchors. I believe we can get some understanding on something we can use to weather the storms that we go through. There's things that we face. Because we do face at times great storms and great trials in our own individual lives. We go through things that we haven't expected, that we haven't prepared for. Some of us are still going through them, but you know what? We have an anchor. We have, in the case of Paul, he's got four anchors, and I want us to go through them. We're not going to have time to do it today, so we're only going to do two today. But we've got a, he's got an anchor that's sure that's firm, and it's wonderful. Now, the first anchor I believe you can see in the life of Paul is probably the least attractive, and that's why we want to get it out of the way and dust it. But it's something we all understand. The first anchor in the life of Paul was duty, or obligation, if you like, or maybe responsibility. <coughs> he, he believed he had a responsibility. He had a duty to Christ. He had a duty to the call. He had a duty to those that are around him to bring them the good news. It's an unpopular word, duty, obligation, responsibility. It smells of religiousness. It smells of legalism. Uh, But the truth is, in all of our own lives, we understand what that is. We understand in our dealings with our families and with our workplace what it is to be responsible, what it is to be uh, obedient and uh, and to be, uh, live up to obligations. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Paul says that regardless of how he feels, regardless of how difficult it is to get up in the morning, 
I have an, a responsibility. I have been entrusted with this message. Willing or unwilling, I have got to give this message. God has led it upon me. It's something that we sometimes don't think about our own lives. God has a call in your life. We think of it only as merely someone who gets up and preaches or someone who gets up and sings or someone goes to a foreign, world, foreign land to, to share the gospel or Becky who goes to schools. We think of those as, yes, they have a call in their life and it's wonderful. But every single one of us is called by God to share the light that he has given us, to share the, the truth that he has given to us and change in our lives. God delights when we obey his will. He absolutely loves it when his, when his children, he asks them, would you go and do this for me? Would you share the truth of who I am? Will you be a witness to me? A witness to what I have done in your life? God loves it whenever we do it. He absolutely loves it whenever we do it willingly. There is willingness in our hearts and joy in our hearts and fulfillment in our hearts when we do it. But at times, it is tough. It is tough. It's not easy to get, put yourself out there. It's not easy to stand up and be the person who wants to be counted. I'm willing to be counted. We can think of, think of people in the press. You know, think of the Asher's family and others that have stood up to say, no, I've, I've got an opinion based on the word of God and I, I'm going to stand up for what God has said. We're thinking about this big vote that's going on in the south of Ireland at the moment, the next couple of weeks, and people standing up and saying, no, I believe all life has been given by God and worth protecting. It is gift from God. People who are willing to put themselves up out there and say that. At times, it's not something that comes natural to us. But the scriptures teach us that God will give us the desires of our heart. Now, some people have taken that to say, oh, I have a desire for. But it's not. God places in us desires. He places in us a love for his word. He places in us a love for each other. He places a love in us for the church, for the gospel, for children, for elderly, for whoever, in order to then, as that love gets developed, as it gets strengthened, then we'll then use it as an avenue then to share his word. And it's important that we do look at it sometime as a responsibility, as a duty to our neighbor, as a duty to God, before God. We call ourselves the servants of God, the children of God, don't we? Or is it only one person, the servant, and that's the pastor? We are all servants of God. I tell you, we are all. Yes, some parts might be more, more honored. Some of them might be more visible, but we are all servants of God. Didn't Paul say that when he's talking about the organs of the body? The unseemly ones are the ones that have got more honor because if your kidneys break down and your liver breaks down and your bile breaks down, you're snickered. But we are all servants of God. We all serve God in our own ways and with what he has given us. Remember the prophet Jonah? No, I don't want to go to them, their ones. The Assyrians, the Jews hated the Assyrians. The Israelites have said, hated the Assyrians, hated them, absolutely hated them. I'm not going there. God said, that's not right. You have an obligation. You have a responsibility. Those are souls that are going to a lost eternity. Would not stand for it. If we risk, if we refuse to obey God, if we refuse to walk in his obligation that he had placed on our life, because he has placed an obligation on us, obligation of what he has given us. We are obliged to use it. If we refuse to do what he has told us to do and laid upon our hearts, 
then we risk, we risk making the will of God look, some, look like something trivial and frivolous. We risk making God's, God himself look trivial and frivolous, insignificant. It doesn't matter to me. We risk it. But who do we risk it to? Our family. We risk making the call of God look frivolous to our families. We risk making it look trivial and frivolous to those around us. We risk it whenever we refuse to stand up for God. We refuse to do what God has given us. Because as soon as we refuse to follow God, to do what God wants us to do, your peace will go. Your joy will go. Your happiness. Things will start to, you know, the manifestation of God, the unsettledness in your spirit, the unsettledness will, will, will contaminate those around you. They'll feel it. They'll not know what it is. You might not know what it is, but that's it. It's important to follow God, to believe God, to serve God, whatever way he has led upon your life. Let's imagine I had the cure to cancer and I didn't tell anyone. What would you all think of me if you knew I had the cure to cancer? Let's imagine I could eliminate world poverty and I didn't tell no one. Let's imagine I could save a soul. I could bring them the gospel of Christ and I didn't do it. What then? What would we think of me? That's a responsibility. It's a duty. We don't like the word. We don't like being laid on something heavy. But Paul knew it. He knew that there's people in darkness worshipping false gods, fake gods, worshipping the figments of their imagination. A certain city was founded. They released these pigs. And as the pigs went out, and every time a pig sat down, they would follow the pig, kill the pig, and its blood was shed. And they went, there's a God at this bush. Kill a pig, there's a God at this rock. What foolishness. Paul knew that. He knew that I have had an encounter with the real God. He knew I have met the Son of God on the road to Damascus. He knew it was real. He had conviction in that reality. And he knew that he had to do something with it. He knew that he had a responsibility. I can preach the gospel and God will be glorified, which is our first aim to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God is my first responsibility. My second responsibility is to take the good news. You don't have to go to a lost eternity. Paul was driven by it. He knew it. It kept him going out every day. It kept him sure-footed, steadfast, firm in the word, firm in the mission. And God is no man's debtor. You know, when we obey God... It's difficult to see beforehand, but when we obey God, God does something in our lives. Boys and dears, all those things that we thought were serious become the frivolous things. All those things that we thought was important become the trivial things. He will bless us. He blessed us spiritually, emotionally, physically, or psychologically, and maybe even materially. We don't do it for those blessings, but those are the things that God does to us, for us. Paul's conviction about his responsibility to preach the gospel was so strong that he actually said in that verse there, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
woe is me. You can hear Isaiah, can't you? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Paul, who's got the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, who's got the revelation of this, woe is me if I don't tell people the good news. Philippians 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He was torn, for I am, I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He understood his responsibility. He understood his duty before the church to bring them the word, to teach them, to feed them, to write the New Testament, these letters for us. He understood that this was his responsibility, that God had given it to him. You matter. Your life matters. Your testimony matters. You sitting here today matters. It matters that we have all got together on this sunny day instead of just going and having a barbecue or doing something else. It's important. Your presence in church this morning is encouraging each other encourage each other because you're saying to the person next to you, this is important. It's important to gather with the people of God. It's important to hear something about eternity. It's encouraging me. I'm I'm chuffed that there's so many people have come out. By walking through these doors, we have all, all those who have seen you leave the house, walk down the street. You have made a statement. You have voted with your feet. You have said, I, have, I had a tough week at work. I had a tough week with the family. But I know coming together with the people of God is important. That's the testimony of our presence sometimes. It's a simple thing. It's, I, don't like, I, don't, I, I don't like using the word duty, but it is a, it's a duty. Sometimes it is a duty. It is a chore. I've seen people come into the house out of the blue, haven't seen in months. Oh, come around for a wee chat. Well, I've got a church. <laughs> I want to go and hear from God. This might be the day God sends me a word from heaven. This might be the day I get something that lifts my soul, that gives me something for the road ahead. I can't miss this. Expectation is a powerful tool in the hands of God expectation. I expect to hear from God. You know what? And you just might not, but you might next week. Oh, do you know what? Glory to God. You might. That might is a huge mile away from you'll never. It's a might. Glory to God. I love that idea. You might hear from God. Because if God didn't exist, you wouldn't hear from him. Glory to God. He lives. I want to sing a song. (laughs) He lives. He lives. (laughs) dear 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 you know we can think of a few people you know there is a few especially as you get to a certain age you know and you start you've got kids then you get grandkids you find they they start to think to themselves rightly so and fair enough to them some of them thought of further down the line start to think I've got to look after myself 
I want to spend more time with the grandkids. I want to be able to play with the grandkids. I want to be, able, want to be there when the grandkids go to school or go to, or go to high school or, or graduate high school. Or I want to be there when my grandkids get married. You know, they start to think in these terms. So they start to look after themselves. You know what? That's, that's, that's thinking not just selfishly. That's thinking wisely. That's thinking with responsibility. I want to be there to help my kids raise their kids. I want to be there to be with my grandkids as they grow up. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, Therefore, I I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Praise the Lord. He knew what it was to go through them things for our sake. For our sake. To Paul, his duty or responsibility to others kept him focused on the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His duty, his responsibility. And that's the first anchor. And everyone said, praise God. That means he's halfway through. (laughs) God's good though. It's good though. It is. It's good. A bit of freedom's good. A bit of responsibility's good. Look at our kids. We like to give them a wee bit of responsibility so they'll mature, so they'll grow up, so they'll handle their money wiser when they get bigger. A wee bit of responsibility's good for us so that we will be disciplined in reading the Word and seeking the face of God. It might just be the first times we're doing it when we're given that wee bit of responsibility. We're going, oh God, help me. But that's, that's all right to start there. It's okay to start there. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's as we get that bit more responsibility. Lord God, thank you for the responsibility of those around me and my family. Thank you, Lord, that for the responsibility you've given me to be a light in a dark place. Thank you for that responsibility. The second anchor in the life of Paul was hope. Hope. Hope kept Paul focused on running his race. Hope is central to the Christian life. It is at the core of everything that we believe and everything we're willing to go through. Hope. Hope is so important. It's at the heart of our message. Paul comments on hope over and over and over again. And every time he does, it is wrapped up in Christ Jesus. It is wrapped up in what Christ has done at Calvary. Every time he mentions hope, it's in those contexts. Christian hope includes trust in God, patient waiting, and confidence in God's future. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. See, in the Old Testament, hope was slightly different. Hope was one day hope. It was hope in the coming Messiah. It was hope in the future. God had delivered the nation in the past. God had kept his promises. And based on just purely the things that they'd read from history and antiquity, they based their hope in God doing something in the future. God delivering them in the future. Remember Hebrews eleven thirty nine. It says, All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. 
they didn't receive the promise of what God had promised them. Abraham didn't see his seed as, his seed as the sands of heaven or of the nations of the earth. He didn't see it. He had a hope that God was going to do it one thing. All these died not having received the promise, but believing that he was faithful and it would eventually be fulfilled. Hope in anything or anyone other than God was seen as false hope, which God would overturn. So the nations around Israel who had hope in, a for, in, a, in another God, the Israelites looked at them and went, you've got a false hope. You are lost. There's hope in a piece of wood. That wood's going to do nothing except hit me in the head if someone throws it at me. Whereas they had the hope in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of their fathers and their forefathers. They had the faith and hope in that God, who they had heard the stories. They had heard what they had done for Abraham, what they'd done for Isaac, and what they'd done for Jacob. They had heard those things. In contrast, the Christian hope is based firmly in the act of salvation in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Yes, as the song we sang today, I talk about the hope in the, in the Word and in Scriptures, a hope in what God has given us in the Bible, which is true and which is good. But we have a hope that supersedes the Jewish hope. They had a hope for a Messiah to come. We have the hope of a, of a Messiah who came who came. He came into town and he came into my life. That is my hope. It's in a God who is in my life. The scriptures teach us that in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come on them occasionally. Occasionally. It was not a permanent indwelling. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and he would prophesy, it says. It says that the Spirit came upon Saul and he prophesied. It didn't dwell on him. But at the New Testament, at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given freely to us all, all those who are born of God. Now the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, dwells inside of us. And our hope is based on something far more sure, far more positive. It's grounded in God's act of salvation in Christ, living in the power of the Holy Spirit and moving toward the full realization of the purposes of God. See, to the Jews, they looked back to Abraham and they went, okay, Abraham was obedient. He did what God had told him. God told him to leave her of the Chaldees. He left her of the Chaldees. And that's why God blessed him. That's what they thought. They thought that he blessed him. But Paul, in the book of Romans 4, I was going to read it, but I'm not going to now. Uh, Romans 4, 16 to 22, Paul talking about Abraham says that Abraham, he was given, blessed by God because of his relationship with God. He wasn't blessed by God merely because of his obedience. God chose him and used him uh, and sent him out. Paul is insightfully pointing out that Abraham was blessed and declared righteous before the sign of the covenant. We all know what that is. Before that, he was declared righteous. So through his hope and his relationship with God, he was then declared righteous. Whereas the Jews were looking at this and they were thinking he, was, he had hope after the sign of the covenant because he was in covenant. But he wasn't didn't work that way. To Paul, the hope that Abraham had was based on a personal relationship with God whom he trusted. 
In fact, the only basis for Abraham's hope was purely in the promise that God had given him and the relationship with he, that he had with God. There was no Old Testament, never mind a New Testament. He couldn't look back at the Old Testament and say, oh, look at the way God dealt with him and the God dealt with him and God dealt with him. He couldn't do that. Abraham didn't have a Bible. There was no Bible. There was no Old Testament. There was no Tanakh, Torah, nothing. His, his hope was based upon God and that relationship he had with God and on God's promise to him. And he took a step based on that promise and then God blessed him. And he took another step and he took another step. We can see in the scriptures that through hardships, Abraham's hope grew. Seeing God's faithfulness, hearing God's word, each hardship an incident that Abraham encountered when in the covenant with God caused his hope to grow greater and greater. Romans 4, 18 there, I didn't read it, but it says, who contrary to hope in hope believed. Paul understood this, that it comes to the point where human hope fails. It comes to a point where our hope, hope so isms, the fairy tale of maybe one day's, comes to an end where it runs out of steam. So against that hope that comes to an end, the natural human hope, he says, we have a greater hope. Contrary to that hope, in hope believed in the God of hope. Paul recognized that Abraham's hope grew because he believed in the God of hope, even though all, all hope, human hope was gone. He understood this. So Paul could get up after a shipwreck, you know, and a few days of recovery, maybe a meal or two, and a few bit of some dry clothes, he could go on. I've, I've, had, a, I've had a shipwreck. It's been terrible. It's been wild. I'm going to write a, a, a book about it. I'm going to hope they make a movie. Paul, you know what? I have a hope in a God who does not change because I have a relationship with a God who does not change. And I know that this is working in me. This is doing something in me and for the gospel. He had a hope. Romans 4.23 says, Now it is, written, it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Hope based in Jesus raised from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Paul acknowledges that Christian hope is directed at the same God who Abraham had, uh, had received the promise from Abraham. The exact same God who had raised Jesus from the dead but our hope is greater. Christ is the faithful fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Praise the Lord. The resurrection of Christ is the beginning of a new age of hope, determined by God's promises in Christ and empowered by God's gift. It's a new age of hope for the believer. They believed on a one day. Now we live in that day. This is, this is the one of a better phrase, the messianic age, the messianic age of hope, where God has given hope to his people that is sure, that is steadfast. I have had an encounter I've had an encounter with this Christ. He has changed my life. He has changed the trajectory of my life. Has he done it in your life? Listen to the testimony the pastor sent me there of a, of a man who was caught in a crime and he was imprisoned. And how in prison he turned to Christ. 
and how he came out of, out of prison and he met the, the FBI man who had put him away. And together they started a ministry and they now work, go back to the people who are getting out of jail. What a change in a life. We can all think of stories where God has reached down and changed someone's life. He's still in the business of doing it. But that's the basis of it. That's the start of our hope. He's changed me. He can do something else. I've got a hope that he can keep working in my life. He can keep doing something in my life. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand. We stand in the grace and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope not, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Oh, tribulation. It's working on me for God's benefit. I have a hope that God's in my life because I'm up against stuff. Paul knew that these things that were happening, yes, a shipwreck was a, a, a material thing, a, a totally un, unexpected thing. Uh, you know, as pastor's been pointing out, I don't think the devil was blowing the winds. But those things happened to him on a missionary journey. And he still had to have hope. This is going to work. This is going to be great. See, when I get to the other side, when I, on this bit of wood, I'm going to go into the town. And I'm going to tell them in the town about all the storm that we faced. Oh, I'm going to tell them about how the mast fell. Oh, I'm going to tell them about everyone screaming and crying. And the, oh, it's going to be wonderful. And then I'm going to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> what a hope. You know, what, a, what a thing God was doing in their lives. Wow, it's a wonderful. Just as Abraham, Abraham had a hope when human, all human hope failed, when the sources of human hope had dried up and withered away, we also have a hope to when everything around us is contrary to the promises of God, when circumstances stand in direct contradiction to the promise of God, we must remember the simple things, that he doesn't change, that he has done something in our lives, that he has changed us. It's a vital hope. It's a living hope. It's a wonderful thing to keep us sure and steadfast on the path. It's wonderful to know this hope filled Paul's mind and heart. This kept him on the course that was before him. This hope gave him the ability to smile at the storm. This is going to be a great, great way to open up a sermon, he thinks. This is going to be a great way to, to share the gospel. There must be a message here somewhere. Paul knew that these values, these anchors, he knew that the need for them in his own life, he had to have something that got him up in the morning, that got him to endure. These two anchors, both of duty, responsibility, which we all share, and the anchor of hope, hope in a God who has changed us, hope in a God who has saved us. These, these are important for our lives. Whatever storm we are facing today or this week, whatever has come against us, whatever assaults our minds and our hearts, hold on to these anchors. Hold on to these because these will keep us and people who were once with us, who have walked away, they didn't have a confidence in this, an assurance of this. These are true. These are real. These are eternal truths.
that it's important we take on board and we remember. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.